Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From choosing the right college, developing a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and more. Each episode will help guide your family through the various steps of the process. Now, here is your host. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Uh, I just hosted last week. I promised you I'd be back, and here I am. Uh, and I'm here with my weekly plea, which is don't forget to review us on Apple Podcasts. It makes it much easier for people who are looking for this podcast to find us. The more reviews we have, the higher we up we are, and and therefore we're more likely to show up for people when they come looking. Um it is Military Appreciation Month here in the United States, and um, we're going to be talking about some military benefits available to students when they're going to college. Um, but before we get to that, if you or your student has been thinking, hmm, college in Europe sounds really interesting, and I will tell you as someone who is loves Europe, goes as frequently as I can, um, if, if I had thought about this back in the day, I would have been really interested in it. Um, but I, I thought it would be, we thought it'd be great to bring two people representing the European Universities Consortium here to tell us a little bit more about um, some opportunities in Europe for American students. Um, so joining me today are my guests, um, uh, Iwana, oh my goodness, I mispronounced your name. Can you say it for oh, me good. again? It's a Joanna. Joanna. I yeah. see my problem is I had it and then I decided to read it and I got oh, it good. wrong. Joanna Alexandra Benea, who is president of the European Uni Universities Consortium um, and also is the Central and Eastern Europe liaison for Bocconi University. And also Juan Carlos Luis Call, who is the student senior student recruitment officer for the Brussels School of Governance. Thank you both and welcome. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. So I will confess the European Universities Consortium is a new thing to me. This isn't something I was familiar with. And so maybe um, uh, you guys could tell us a little bit more about what that is and what universities participate. Just give our listeners who maybe have never heard of it a little bit more information about it. Great. So, um, so we are a group of eight universities uh, located across the continent in Europe. So we have Bocconi, as uh, you already mentioned, the Brussels School of Governance uh, here in Belgium. We have IE University in Spain, Modul University in Vienna, Constructor University and the Carl Benz School of Engineering in Germany. EHL um, in um, Switzerland, and also they have a campus in Singapore, and then lastly, Trinity College Dublin in Ireland. So those are the eight universities, uh, very highly ranked international universities, uh, and yeah, across the continent, as we mentioned already. Got it. Okay. I can also give you a bit of background about it. We actually were founded in 2011 by some of us. Uh, some left, some came uh, additionally to the group. Um, and generally, our main objective was actually to create awareness and promote the opportunities to study in English uh, in a non-English speaking country, uh, like any bachelor degrees or master's degrees, and obviously in other countries other than US, Canada, um, and so on. Um, it, it actually was founded during a conference. Maybe you know the IACAC conference. Yes, um, yep. so, 
our our colleagues were also there present and uh, we wanted to be the main point of reference for either for high school counselors or for students parents of course as well uh, worldwide um, for um, when it comes to um, being the contact person for uh, Europe studying in Europe tips and tricks and so on got it I mean yeah. for me the what's super compelling about this is you're all offering the opportunity to study in English, like you say. So obviously in Dublin, less of an issue, but pretty much everywhere else, you know, the idea that you could go to Italy and study in English versus studying in Italian or Mm -hmm. go to Belgium and study in English. I mean, that's really compelling, I would think. Um, Mm -hmm. And so you're just sitting around a table and you think what we're missing an opportunity. Yeah, exactly. And how we do that, like we actually obviously attend the, the conferences we p- submit proposals and present the relevant topics from the industry um we organize different student recruitment tours worldwide so um we visit either one country or one city or multiple countries when we travel a little bit further out from europe um and it's always the promotion of studying in europe to students parents and um, counselors of course yeah. got it so the focus is more on studying in europe than necessarily on studying at each of your individual exactly yeah. got it okay mm-hmm. any anything beyond that kind of desire to promote studying in europe that connects all of the universities who are involved in this um i can continue actually so we have a couple of uh, characteristics that brought us together and also when we have new universities join we try to kind of tick all the boxes so to say um, so first of all, we all are accredited, like and recognized by the local government, uh, government of the each country. So that uh, assures the quality of the programs that we're offering. Um, the offering the programs in English, obviously, and not having a pre-requirement for admission the local language. Mm. Um, of course, students can study the local language, and even at some of us, like uh, the language courses are mandatory. Like for Bocconi, for example, they have to study Italian in the first year, um, but obviously afterwards, um, uh, they can also study other languages. We offer um, language centers at uh, any of our um, universities. Um, we're really um, diverse and highly international uh, when we talk about background, about different cultures. Uh, and this means for us at least 60% international students coming from more than 100 to 120 countries. And I know for, for some of the universities, we even go with up to like 80, 90% in wow. international students. Yeah. So we really try yeah. to, to, to stick to that. And uh, we have a holistic admission approach, but maybe like we, we talk about this topic a little bit later um, as well. Okay. And sure. I can let uh, JC also add some points. No, I was going to add that, you know, other characteristics that, uh, let's say, unify us. And as, as as we already talked about, we're in different countries, different universities, everybody doing their, you know, their own thing. But, um, yeah, these characteristics also include that we focus in a student-centered education. So, you know, um, there are diff- learn- learners have different learning methods and uh, different ways to let's say express their progression in in their studies so we try to adapt you know our 
our study methods, our assessments uh, to these students. We also put them in the center of our objectives in terms of their career services, student services, uh, for other, for example, visa services as well, uh, in order to bring them to to, to Europe. Um, we also, all of us have some kind of inter, international uh, relationships with other um, universities to promote more mobility. And that is something that is, let's say, ingrained in the European culture, let's say. Uh, and at the same time, we all offer internships, career advice, uh, development, and so on. And then very importantly, and I think that's something that is very um let's say, a very specific uh, characteristic of EUC universities is the fact that we all offer some kind of tasting of our of our uh, campuses and so on. So including summer school, open day, and these kind of things that are very particular to the EUC universities when you compare them to other uh, European uh, or public uh, universities here in, uh, in Europe. And then lastly, we all are... Um, also, we work in accreditation, but also we take part into international organizations like the International ACAC, CIS, IECA, and all of these, where we also use as a way to promote our you know, uh, uh, study in Europe as an idea, but also to share our research, uh, internal research and collaborations that we uh, do among the member universities. Got it. I mean, what's super interesting about some of the things that you just noted is, you know, when I when I'm working with students based here in the U.S., which I primarily do, and when my colleagues are, um, if if they have an interest in going to Europe, it's often one of the things that holds them back is that in Europe the approach feels very different than it does in the U.S. And the biggest difference can be this whole idea that you're really on your own. Right. So in the US, there's perhaps a little too much coddling, right? We could have that whole conversation about is that really the best way? I'm not sure. But there's so much hand holding here that the lack of hand holding or many of the things that that Americans have grown to expect from the college experience um, feel like it's a little too scary, I think, often for either parents or students or both. And for that reason, the idea of studying abroad for some of these students might seem really great, but then in the end, they sort of say, well, I'll go with the safe option, I'll stay here, and then I'll do a semester abroad through my U.S. school. Um, so I find it really interesting that you know one of the things you guys are doing is student services and career services and internships, because those are the big pieces that feel like the U.S. does better from the perspective of an American student. Um, yeah. So I was curious, um, maybe you could share a little bit more just about, you know, what does that look like for an American student, especially the career services? That's really intriguing to me, because if you're going to study in Europe, my guess is that any student who's interested in spending four years there might then be interested in staying and maybe building a career there rather than coming back mm -hmm. here. Joanna, any thoughts yeah. on that? Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, first of all, they have to think about a little bit outside of the box and be open-minded yes. in that sense. And uh, we really focus on the careers and we have dedicated career centers. We work with thousands of companies, uh, not just in Europe, worldwide as well. So it doesn't mean if they 
they study here, they can only work in EU. That's not true. Their, their options are really unlimited, I would say, in that sense. Um, and uh, another thing maybe that a lot of students know, don't know, that when they apply here for residence permit of student visa, with the student visa, they actually can work part-time next to their studies between 10 to 40 hours, depend depending obviously on the country. And after their studies, they have a job seeker visa, um, which is an extension of their normal student visa that allows them to stay up to 12 to 18 months uh, to find a, a job. But um, you have to keep in mind also that the employability rate of our graduates is quite high. And I, I can say on average, maybe within the UC, over 80 to 90% of our graduates find um, a job uh, within six to 12 months from, um, from their graduation. So that means uh, we make sure we support them with all the resources necessary. But I always like to add, we don't guarantee where we don't put the job on a silver plate. They have to apply. They have to prepare their CV. We help them. We give them tips. But we want to make sure, of course, that uh, they they do the they go for the interview and they actually get the job on on their own uh, efforts as well. So. Yeah. Right, of course, which that is not at all different from the U.S. either, right? So there's yeah. there's only so much that the college can do to support the student in the next exactly. step. The student exactly. actually has to take um, yeah. take some some steps there. Okay, mm-hmm. um, I in terms of an American student considering studying in Europe, um, mm-hmm. what would you highlight as some of the benefits? Maybe Juan Carlos, if you want to start us off on that one. Yeah, so uh, look, we can start, for example, the most obvious one uh, or relevant for many students is the costs, right? So uh, the studying here might cost a little bit less than than in the US for almost even or sometimes more a, a higher value uh, degree. So uh, in, in here in Europe, it's not really common to to take a loan or to be in debt after after graduation. So that's something that we always emphasize to students that studying here might be even af- uh, affordable without any of those uh, resources. And in either in some countries, uh, if we if students opt for public institutions, it can also be sometimes even free. Uh, so regardless of their nationality. So that's something that they, they can also uh, consider. And, and then when we talk about um, cost of living uh, in within the continent, you can expect, you know, we give an average between 800 to 1100 euros. At, as of today, the euro and the US dollar are pretty uh, equivalent. So let's say that 800 euro will mean $850 or something like that. So the difference is not that, that big. But yeah, between $800 and $1,100, let's say, uh, or euros, it will be enough for to cover their expenses in a monthly basis. So that's one thing. And then when we talk about education um, quality or degree validity, as we mentioned already, our degrees are accredited in Europe. Uh, or by our local ministries of education. And that means that they are valid across the EU and beyond. So that's something that we always tell students uh, when we're giving our presentation is that even if they are not applying to any of our universities, they must double check that the accreditation is there um, with their degrees. And then we have in, in the European Union, 
something what, that we called uh, the transfer credit system. So it's the ECTS. That means that one credit at my university here in Brussels is the same credit at Bocconi University in Italy. So that also helps student the student mobility. So if they study with me in Belgium for their undergraduate degree and then they go to Bocconi to do their a master's degree, for example, Bocconi will understand automatically what the student is bringing. So that's quite, quite uh, an advantage. And then uh, lastly, we were talking about the approach to education. Uh, there is a lot of emphasis in a theory-based but practical learning, okay? So where we use a lot of applied theory uh, so students have to be you know, ready to participate in projects, uh, case studies, uh, and this kind of, uh, let's say, approach to, to, learning, to the learning experience, which might be a bit different from, from the U.S. Got it. So I think, Joanna, you have more... On? A little more hands-on. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Definitely is more hands-on. And then, uh, especially in the EUC universities, the we, ha- we are, let's say, a smaller scale type of uh, institution. So that would allow for a more dynamic classroom environment. In, at the Brussels School of Governance, you, students might have classes between five and 20 uh, classmates. So it's a quite quite a different experience. So that's also something that uh, happens here. Uh, The large, you know, lecture hall with 500 students, it might be something that it would be rarely seen in uh, in our, let's say, in our institutions. But I think, Joanna, you also have more um, benefits, right? Yeah, totally. I mean, first of all, like talking about this, um, I totally think like um, we bring the industry in class. So this is something I would like to emphasize as well, uh, related to what you were saying, um, the career opportunities, which we already talked about, um, but also the visa-free travel. So once students get the residence permit, they can really go wherever they want within the EU, but still they should not forget their passport uh, because they cannot travel only with that residence card. We had cases um, in any case. And it's not just about exploring Europe and really seeing Europe while you're here, because you can easily fly from one place to another, like with a low cost airline um, over the weekend. And it's one to two hour flights and you reach pretty much all of Europe. Uh, But it's also what you learn while you travel, um, budgeting for a trip, planning it, uh, doing the research, learning to adapt to a new culture. Which brings me specifically to the next point, cultural diversity and like uh, millennia of history, so to say, in a way. Um, I I can give you an example. I'm based in Vienna. Um, I work for Bocconi, which is in Milan. Um, But I can go like in 45 minutes, like a drive to, to Bratislava, which is the capital of Slovakia. Uh, it's another country, another language, another uh, food culture, uh, completely different. And it's only 45 minutes away. And I think this is something that you really get to experience if, you, uh, if you're in Europe. Um, and it's, let's say, in a smaller scale, but so much more easy, easily accessible. And you get to do this over 
four years or three years versus just spending a semester there, which is what many U.S. Mm -hmm. students do. And what I did when I was in college, Mm -hmm. you guys are speaking my language. If I was going to go back to school tomorrow, (laughs) I would be really looking at all of the schools on your list because that is what I want to be doing with my life right now. Just traveling all over Europe. That sounds (laughs) sounds excellent um, to me. And then um, in terms of um, a student you think would be, you know, why would a student be drawn to this or the types of students that you see maybe would be a better way to put it, who are drawn to studying or, or to the, to the U- European universities consortium? Mm-hmm. Um, if I may start, um, actually, I think the typical student profile we're looking for is someone who's really open-minded who's willing to adapt to different like situations and like really be uh, flexible because we're really talking about the different uh, level of culture shock when coming from overseas than just moving from one country to another one that is right uh, uh, like on half an hour flight away. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, the willingness to to be to be open to learn other languages than English. Um, I know English is spoken widely and some countries are super good in English, uh, some are maybe not as good, but still to be willing to learn the local language, especially if students consider to stay here for um, maybe for a couple of years to build up their career. Um, it's it's not bad and it's quite useful to, to learn the local language. Um, it's true, we discussed, you mentioned it earlier, like the European culture is a bit different, that students are expected to be a bit more independent um um, self self self-sufficient to to learn to do everything on your own you have to cook you have to like uh, do your laundry you have to pay your bills like not forget to uh register for like getting a bank account and so on so um i think of course you learn as you go um it's not probably from day one everything very intuitively um but it, it, I think here you have to be or like become an adult like a little bit my, maybe um, faster in a way, let's say. Yeah. So so to say, rather than when you're really like living close to home, you're every weekend going home with your laundry and like mom can do it. Um, so um, I think definitely um, here independence play, plays an important role. I don't know if JC wants to add anything. Yeah, I wanted to say that, uh, you know, another thing that students should keep in mind is that uh, the programs here are also a bit more specialized, okay? So they, for example, the Brussels School of Governance, they will dive in right into international European law if that is the major of their study. There is no, uh, you know, let's say one introductory year as compared to the U.S., so uh, students will definitely dive in into the subject that they that they want to to study, which you know gives them a little bit of less time if they are you know undecided or not entirely sure. So that could be perhaps a challenge. But the thing is that all of our universities have all kinds of initiatives to bring this open the doors to other students to bring them closer to make them understand what uh, our programs are all about so i always tell you know candidates please do read everything that i sent you participate in everything that we send uh talk to the current students as well through our websites and so on so so that that let's say that that could be a challenge that um you know Maybe uh, if you go to a, a college in in the U.S., you're not entirely uh, aware of. Um, I think also uh, there 
the fact that they are in Europe for some students might consider it, you know, some kind of vacation or a fantasy uh, of, you know, traveling every weekend. So they do need to, let's say, learn how to balance that uh, life with travel, fun, and also working because some some students start working as well uh, during their first year. So it is, you know, I always tell them the the irony is that I tell you do make take advantage of your three years here with us, but at the same time, hey, you have to graduate. So that's also let's say another another challenge that comes with what we were talking about growing up quickly and and so on. And then I think another is that you know students have to be ready uh, to be open and uh, to ask for help, communicate with with us because like we mentioned already, we have all these services for them available, but they they need to be the ones, let's say, approaching us. So let's say, yeah, the expectation is that they are more uh, proactive into also safeguarding their their well-being, okay? So that could also, let's say, be a a challenge for for certain students. Got it. And and actually, that leads me to um, a big question that I wanted to ask, and you mentioned it, three years. So are all of the Mm -hmm. schools in the community, in the consortium three-year programs because in the u.s of course the four-year program is the is the mm-hmm. standard so i'm curious if they're mostly three-year or all um i would say mostly but not all actually a university in madrid is four years and they have the opportunity to do double degrees in five years so uh, it really depends uh, i think it's not even um university decision it's a country <laughs> decision okay. yeah. uh, but in any yeah. case um You'll always have like what we we call here the Bologna system. So it's five years bachelor plus master. So it could be four years plus one, uh, four years bachelor, one year master, or three years bachelor, two years master. So it's always like uh, five years the undergraduate with graduate um, education combined. And in order to have uh, to start with a PhD, if anyone is interested, they need to have a minimum of 300 DCTS collected Mm -hmm. from the bachelor and master. So this is uh, something that is very specific to Europe. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. And and so why don't we? This leads me right to one of the bigger questions, which is around admissions. And I know that um, it's not standardized. So you all, the the universities in the consortium, have a lot of things in common. But the way that they do admissions is going to be different from school to school. Um, And I'm curious if, you know, how talented students need to be or, you know, just if there is a general profile you could share. And if there isn't, that's fine, too. But just maybe some examples of the kinds of things that the schools are looking for. Yeah, so I can tell you that the in the consortium, uh, the, yeah, all of the universities adopt a holistic approach to the admissions. That means that we're that means that we're gonna look at the students' profile as a whole, including their grades, okay, but also their motivation and even sometimes uh, their CVs, okay. We listing whatever they have done in their experience that is list that is relevant to the program that they are applying. It is true that, let's say, the entrance to our let's, admissions committee, let's say, is the grade. So students have to have a pretty good uh, grade average. Some of us is between 80 or even sometimes 90%, um, let's say, grade average. And so that we're talking about, you know, over a, um, a 3.5 uh, over a 4 GPA in the U.S. 
right? So let's say that it is, it can be quite um, high for, for certain students. But at the same time, uh, as I said, we take a look at their motivation, we take a look at their CV and other, let's say, factors uh, for their admissions. It is true that not one size fits all. So every university has their own system and their own, let's say, way of assessment. So yeah, we always tell the students, follow the university's instructions. Uh, as opposite to the US, there is no common European platform to, um, or even per country to apply to the universities because the institutions are quite independent in that sense. However, some of us in the consortium are part of the common app, so students can send their applications through there. So that's something that they can check with their admissions representative. Uh, otherwise, yeah, they have to uh, submit their own um, uh, applications. But we are very familiar, or let's say we also use things like SATs, TOEFL, and these, let's say, tools for, for admissions. So especially for US-based uh, students that, you know, SATs is something that they almost automatically do. Mm -hmm. uh, that is something that most of our universities accept and recognize. But I think, Joanna, you also have more uh, more uh, points to add, right? Yeah, I mean, like actually just a couple more bits from my experience as myself also an independent counselor, um, maybe more when it comes to the, to the documents. So CVs, I know in the US it's quite different than Europe. Um, in the U.S., students have to really explain what they did in each job or each uh, experience, internship, and so on. Um, in Europe, we're looking for really brief, like, to-the-point CVs. So, for example, you have an internship or a job, three bullet points, like, the most important, like, what were your tasks so the reader understands. Um, at that stage in life, I would say with 18-year-olds, uh, the CV should not be longer than two pages, definitely not. Um, and uh, it's, for example, in Europe, it's fine to add a picture. I know in the US, this is like quite a topic. So uh, again, they're, they're really small details, but um, even keep in mind, some universities have templates of uh, CVs on their website directly, or they give you clear instructions. Um, the same with the motivation letter, like uh, one, two pages tops. Um, for some universities, one page is more than enough. For Bocconi, for example, we say we added up to two pages specifically because students can uh, apply up to four programs at the same time. Um, therefore, we give them a bit more space to explain why they're interested in each of these programs. And generally, I would say if you don't find any information about um, what you need to apply or like how should the documents look like, and don't hesitate again uh, to be open, to communicate with the university, with current students, with professors, with the admission team. So like with uh, with people like us, we're all, always happy to um, uh, to help, to advise, to give you like tips how to, or to even like have a look at your documents and tell you like uh, what can you improve in order to increase your chances of getting admitted. So um we all have like regional representatives as well. So um, it's definitely something to to really take advantage of uh, when applying. Yeah. Right, because that is actually somewhat unique uh, for, for you. Having spent some time in, um, in England and gone to visit some of the um, universities there, 
there's it's very opaque in many many schools they're not they don't want to meet with you they don't want to talk to you they don't want to talk through but they have a really amazing website with lots of great resources but if you are used to being able to go to a school and meet somebody and yeah, ask that's- a few questions, that's not really a thing. So I, what's also very fascinating and wonderful about what you guys are doing is you're making that available, which to me is going to make it a whole lot more likely that um, American students are going to say, oh, this is possible. And it doesn't feel so overwhelming. Like it's all on me to figure out how to present myself in the best way. So I'm going to echo what you said and they're there for you. So reach out to them. Right. I think that that is key. And, and I, you know, a couple of things I wanted to hit on um, that I heard from you is just, you know, the, the, you said a statement of intent. Is that what you called it? And motivation. 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 Yes. (laughs) Motivation. Um, And, and that's quite different from the essay that students write here in, in for the U S you know, where we're telling a story and it's, you know, this is again, more straightforward. This is what I'm interested in studying. This is why here's what I've done related to it. And then if you're writing about four things, then do it again, do it again, do it again. And um, you know, I think for some students that could be really appealing. I mean, that's so much easier, in my opinion, than yeah. the the story that you're telling here in the U.S. Um, anything you would add? So what is the counselor's role? So the U.S. counselor at a high school, what's their role in, in supporting their students and applying to these institutions? Are they writing letters of recommendation, teachers writing these? What kinds of things are some schools asking for? Mm, I can go ahead. Or JC. Yeah. <laughs> so in any case, I think the first like support is like really for it to be there for the students. And uh, if they don't know about any university, like to really ask us, we're always happy to help or we're organizing clients as well. So to, to maybe appeal to that and try to visit the campuses to understand them a little bit better. Um, I know for some universities, uh, letter of recommendations are, are quite important for some less. So I would definitely check with the university first. Uh, but I always recommend students. It doesn't matter if the university asks for one, always ask for a letter of recommendation, either from your counselor, from your professors. Um, it doesn't matter. As long as you have a couple of them, you will always uh, find some use for them in the future. That's that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, and it, you, sorry, go yeah, on. Yeah, JC wants to add anything else. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. JC. No, I was going to say that, uh, that the counselors, for in my case, um, we reach out to the counselors quite often to perhaps verify documents. Uh, so that way that the student doesn't have to mail anything or translate uh, anything. So it's more of a, an admin role. Uh, and whenever we are hesitant about a student, uh, perhaps because they have the grade, but maybe they're not the motivation or you know, uh, vice versa, then we reach out to the counselor and, and basically ask, uh, you know, we have this student from your school, uh, and please tell us a little bit more in order to help to, with their their admissions. So, yeah, it's a very uh, different role, I think, um, from from other uh, schools. Yeah, got it. So, including a telephone number, which I know the Common App asks for, but um, which m- maybe 
I would hope the individual applications would ask for it too, but just something good for students and counselors to be aware of that, including a counselor telephone number is probably would be really helpful or certainly an email address. I guess you can email it. Yeah. I would say email definitely because sometimes overseas, like that's true. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. Like I think nowadays everything goes over emails. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I know sometimes that counselors would rather have a conversation, but you can always use email to set up a time. Set up an call. Yeah, exactly. That would work. Yeah, of course. Um, anything that we didn't touch on that you both wanted to make sure that our listeners were aware of regarding studying in Europe or the European Universities Consortium? I would say that, um, you know, Maybe perhaps an advice to the students is, yeah, think outside the box, experience, you know, explore your options, especially if your family has a background uh, connected to Europe, you know, mom or dad, grandma, uh, whatever is from the continent, you know, if you want to explore that route, that's something that that's possible. Uh, but yeah, don't get stuck to the big names of universities. Let, let's say uh, go outside the box like that that way in that sense. For counselors, I would say, you know, if you see us in the, at the conferences, do go to our booth, uh, continue expand your portfolio of options for your students. Uh, bother us, bug us, you know, ask <laughs> us questions, ask us for, for materials because we're here for you to support you in your job. Uh, of course, we want uh, students, we want that, let's say, diversity in our classrooms in terms of backgrounds, academic uh, performances and so on to diversify our, our student body, but we also... Uh, we are doing this for the students, right? So uh, the counselor is definitely that person that uh, connects us uh, with them. And um, yeah, so again, if you see us, say hi. If you want us at your school, definitely contact us. Uh, we as um, Joanna mentioned already, we travel pretty much all over the world as a group. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you, the nice thing about the EUC is that you can get eight universities most of the time. We mm-hmm. all travel together, uh, eight unis in one visit. So again, facilitating things uh, with your organization and your school and all of that. I don't know, Joanna, if you wanted to add something else. Maybe a final idea, like just don't be afraid to make the step to to go away from home. Indeed, um, and it's, it's a bit further away. You won't regret it at all. Like it's it's definitely like uh, uh, I think you will definitely have an advantage to to the colleagues that stayed around close by home because you'll become more independent. You'll have different opportunities. You will discover so much. And also to keep in mind, like Europe is just naturally inclusive. Um, it's um, it, sometimes it's it's really like it, maybe you would be concerned about like topics like racism and so on. And maybe it's not the case in Europe. It's it's totally different. I would say in that sense, uh, people are open minded. But don't forget, obviously, always to do your research before you move somewhere yes. because. A country like Italy and a country like Germany could be totally different. <laughs> it's not yes, all the same. They are. Even though they're so close by, uh, some are more open-minded, more friendly, some are a bit more close, but need a bit of time to open up. But then once you get to know them really well, they could be your really like your lifetime friends. So um I would say this is uh like my piece of advice, obviously adding to and uh 
and to what uh, JC said as well. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you both so much for joining today. This was super informative. And like I said, I'm sold. If I was applying to college tomorrow, I would be checking out all of the universities in your system. And hopefully we've piqued the interest of some of our, our listeners. So I really appreciate your time today. Thank You're you. You're welcome. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. Yeah. It was a pleasure. It was a pleasure. Awesome. All right. We're going to take a really quick break. And when we get back, we're going to be talking about military benefits available to families in the college process. So don't go away. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts, who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions, offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone, to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. We just talked a lot about Europe, going to college in Europe, and now the next segment is really very much more focused on home. Um, Here in the United States, it's Military Appreciation Month, and we thought that we would use this time to highlight some of the benefits that are available to military families when it comes to college. And joining me is um, my colleague, Lori Peltier, um, who is a former financial aid officer at both Anna Maria and Becker Colleges. And coincidentally, her daughter did ROTC, so is now a member of the military, although I don't know, is she still in? she out? <laughs> we'll talk about that. Uh, okay. All right. Sounds good. Um, and, you know, I do need to do a shout out to my dad and my husband and um, my grandfather and potentially my son, all of whom were military, were in the military or maybe joining the military here um, shortly. So mm-hmm. yay for all of you, Military Appreciation Month. Um, so I guess let's just start with there are educational benefits available for military personnel and their families. Right. Tell me about one of them. I know there's a post 9-11 GI Bill. What? How does that work? Right. And so before we get started, I just wanted to say, you know, my gratitude as well for the sacrifice that military families make every day, not just during the month of May. And having a daughter who was in the Army for four years, active duty, 
I know firsthand a little bit about it. She was never deployed. So we were lucky in that aspect, but it's still a sacrifice no matter how you say it. Um, But yes, there are uh, happily many educational benefit programs for people who have served or their family members, everything from ROTC to military academies to the Yellow Ribbon Program, and then the most common one, the post 9-11 GI Bill. Okay. And yeah, why don't we talk a little bit about that one first? Um, I jumped the gun a little bit. I apologize. That's okay. That's okay. Um, But yeah, let's talk about that one. So the the post 9-11 GI Bill um, is for anyone who serves um, after September 10th, 2001, and it helps you pay for school or job training. If you qualify for the maximum benefit, it will cover the cost of public in-state tuition and fees, and they cap the rates for private and foreign schools uh, to that of uh, in-state public, and those are updated each year as costs go up. If you're in school more than half time, the benefit will cover housing as well, which is a great benefit, and there's also a stipend for books and supplies. So pretty generous dollar amount of a benefit. Um, Depending on when you serve, there's a lots of caveats, as with anything in the military. There's a lot of rules, a lot of writing. Um, Yep, a lot of paperwork. Exactly. Um, so if you um, if your service ended before 2013, you get 15 years from your separation date to use that benefit. If your service ended after 2013, the benefits will not expire. So that's great. You have a long oh, nice. period of time to, to continue to use those benefits. Um, if you are going to a private school or an out-of-state school, you can also apply for the Yellow Ribbon Program to supplement the post-9-11 GI benefits. Um, there are some veterans benefits that you can't stack upon each other, so you have to be careful about how you're using them. But the maximum benefit is 48 months, which is four years of, of education. Um, and I think most important for our audience is that if you're a qualified uh, service member, you can transfer those post-9-11 GI benefits to your spouse or child. Mm, So that's what we're seeing at College Coach is is children using their parents' uh, benefit. And the college will have a veterans person on campus, usually in the registrar's office. Some of the larger universities have a whole office full of people just to help with verifying your status and getting the documents to the Veterans Administration so you can receive your funds from the post-9-11 GI Bill. And when you look for that, um, so can you find information about who to talk to on the college's website or is it in the financial aid section or is it elsewhere typically? So I would search for um, veterans representative on the, on the college website. Um, But, but typically what I've found since they have to verify enrollment, Mm -hmm. it's usually the registrar's office that they're affiliated with. Got it. Okay. And of course, I will say what we always say, which is we can't give you a blanket statement about it because (laughs) there are no blanket statements when it comes to college admissions and uh, financial aid and merit aid and things like this. So we give you, we'll point you in the right direction, but we can't say this is where you go every single time. So, right. Okay. Anything else around that that post 9-11 GI Bill that you wanted to share before we move No, not necessarily because it is so specific to how long you served and when you served. It's really, you know, talk to your veterans benefit person and, um, you know, see how to pass it on or how to use it yourself. But I wouldn't let it sit there. I mean, it's a great benefit. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so what other programs are out there and available for families? So you mentioned 
Um, you could apply for the, was it the yellow ribbon to supplement? What are some, what are some other programs that you could share with us? Right. So if a student is interested in joining the military, there are lots of opportunities like military academies, like West Point. There are military colleges like Norwich University. Mm-hmm. There's ROTC programs, uh, which is what my daughter did, and, and scholarships that go along with that. But there's also, um, those come with a service commitment. So that's, you know, you're going to pay for my education now, but I promise to serve. Uh, There's a selection process, pretty elaborate selection process that uh, is based on both academics and physical components. So it's not a guarantee that you're going to get into those programs. Um, And then the yellow ribbon program for veterans, many colleges, both public and private, will participate in those, which offer deep discounted tuition for veterans. Uh, They like to have the veterans in their classes to bring that diversity and their perspective to the classroom. Got it. And just for our listeners' sake, um, we have covered ROTC um, Mm -hmm. before on the show. We've we've also covered... um, I believe we've talked about admission to the academies. If you are archived, we've been doing this show for more than eight years. So that's a lot of shows because we do one every week. But if you go to our blog on our website and you search the blog for ROTC or um, service academies, it will pop up any blogs that we've written on the topic. And it will also um, let you know podcasts that we've done related to the topic because we've talked about it. And Lori, you were a guest on a segment where we Mm -hmm. talked about this. I also had someone who wrote a book about ROTC admissions on the show Mm -hmm. was super helpful. So today we're not going to cover the nuts and bolts of all of that. But if that is something that's intriguing to you, um, Mm -hmm. then we have done quite a bit on that. And you can find that by going to our blog and searching our archives um, and I also just want to throw out there that while many students will apply and, you know, do ROTC um, at, while they're in high school, they're going to apply and, and ideally get a scholarship that they're then using at from the beginning. You can do ROTC um, once you are mm-hmm. at school. And my son is exploring this and is actually probably going to do this next year. Um, there may or may not be a scholarship associated with him with it for him. That will remain to be be seen, but you can try it. And it isn't until I believe the end of your sophomore year, where if you continue past that point, um, Mm -hmm. if you haven't gotten a scholarship, but you continue past that point, now you are committing to ROTC. And now you're going to be actually committing and doing service when you graduate. Mm -hmm. Um, But a student doesn't need to know today that this is something they're going to do. And it isn't closed off to them if they don't pursue it while they're in high school and then decide Mm -hmm. to win later on. So just FYI about that. (laughs) Um, All right. So if, if you're the child, because obviously I think more of our listeners are likely to be students who want to take advantage of, let's say a parent's um, benefit. So if your parent is a, a veteran or you're a veteran and you have a student about to go through this, what do you suggest the student do? What are some Mm -hmm. steps they should take? So I would highly recommend a national scholarship search as early as sophomore year in high school to identify any scholarships that you might be eligible for based on the veteran status oh, of the yeah. parent. Okay. Also check locally with your American Legion um, and the high school counselor for any scholarships from any community organizations. 
And then if the parent died in the line of duty, there are lots of different funds um, and sources for that. One of them is the Fry Scholarship. I am working with a student now who's eligible for the Fry Scholarship, which covers a lot of college tuition um, and extra expenses for any kind of college or training. And then this year, the FAFSA form added a question about if your parent died in the line of duty, whether as a police officer, firefighter, or military service, it triggers a maximum Pell Grant for that student. Mm. So that's something new, um, but very generous and and nice to have. So I guess in summary, I would say start early uh, because you know your status, you know you're a child of the veteran, that's not going to change. Complete the FAFSA form and um, look at local and national scholarships that you might qualify for. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great advice. I'm obviously it's not bad advice, period, (laughs) whether you're the child of a veteran or not. But I think in this case, particularly so, because as you point out, if you start early because you think, oh, I want to go to medical school and you're volunteering at a hospital and maybe there's going to be a scholarship for that. But by the time you're a senior, you're not really doing that anymore because you're not interested anymore. Unlike that, your status as a child of a veteran will never change. Um, And so you're never going to be doing extra work that you in the end didn't need to do or that was pointless. Um, Mm -hmm. So I love that advice to start a little bit earlier. Um, As the parent of someone who went through ROTC, anything else that you want to leave our listeners with when they think about this? Um. So it was daunting at first, I will tell you that, Um, but she had a four-year active duty commitment. The four years went by very quickly, just like the four years of college and the four years of high school whizzed right by. So she has done her service uh, and has a great resume uh, to show for it. And a lot of employers want to hire veterans. And so it's an added bonus when she's out looking for a job. Yeah. My husband, who was um, an officer in the army for nine years, uh, will tell you that certainly he has his college degree and that's great. But the thing that really launched his career was being in the, in the army and all of the leadership and the experience Mm -hmm. he gained as an officer. That's Mm -hmm. what the, um, that's what the employers were drawn to. And he still uh, has people who say, Oh, I love that piece of your background so much. And it's actually, it's not so unique, but it's not so common either. And, um, It's, you know, for the right student, it's a pretty cool thing to have um, in your background. Lori, thank you so much. You're taking time out. I know the whole finance group is meeting in person today and um, for the couple of days. So I appreciate you taking some time from your your colleagues to join me on the show today. So thank you. You're welcome. All right. Well, next week, um, Shannon is going to be hosting. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm loving Shannon in a new hosting role. Um, And she's going to be doing listener questions, which she and I used to do together very frequently. And maybe we will moving forward. Um, And she's also going to be sharing the story of another of our colleagues whose daughter is college athlete and a little bit more about that process and how it feels now that she's on the other side. Um, Don't forget to review us on Apple Podcasts. The more we get, the easier it is for you to find us. I mentioned the blog. You can find that at blog.getintocollege.com. You could search for any topic and any blog we've written or podcast that we've done on that topic is going to pop up. Um, And if you have questions for us, you can always send them to us um, via private messenger on 
Facebook, on Instagram. Um, you could email them, gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Um, and don't forget, we are here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and the team of experts at Bright Horizons College Coach. Join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.